Welcome to The Emily Osmond Show. I'm your host, Emily Osmond, an online marketing educator, leader of an incredible global community of female entrepreneurs and a content creator based in Melbourne, Australia. This show is designed to bring you practical strategies and candid real stories of entrepreneurs to help you make marketing, mindset and money your superpowers. Let's get into the show. you're coming up against brick walls or blank faces when trying to help your audience to understand how brilliant the things that you believe in and sell are. You know how powerful your products, your services or programs are. If only your audience would get it, would understand, would see that too, right? Well, in this episode, we explore why your audience may not be understanding the value in what you have to offer, why that is, and three practical ways to help turn that around. My guest is Tash Corbin, a business mentor who specializes in lean business and consent-based marketing. She's passionate about helping women to change the world through entrepreneurship because, as she says, when women build wealth, everyone wins. Her Facebook community, Heart-Centered, Soul-Driven Entrepreneurs, is one of the most engaged and supportive communities you'll find. And Tash also hosts the Heart-Centered Business Conference, which is running this year as a virtual event from March 11th to 14th. And I am honored to be one of the speakers. You can find tickets at heartcenteredbusinessconference.com forward slash virtual, or just go find Tash on Instagram at Tash Corbin or her website, tashcorbin.com and follow the links. Without further ado, let's bring on Tash to the show. Well, Tash, so good to have you here today. Thank you so much, Emily. Long time listener to this podcast. I'm so excited (laughs) to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, it's about time. We met a year, well, about a year ago. Pretty much bang on, yeah. Pretty much, isn't it? Um, we, we went to Denise Duffield Thomas's retreat, which was the best. And it was, yeah, I just loved meeting you. You're such a wise woman. You're so strong and you care so much about the work that you do as well, which I absolutely love. And you're a leader and not afraid to to call things out as well. Yeah. Which I really love. <laughs> it makes me giggly because I have definitely had a journey as a young woman of being told I'm a little much or a little loud. And I'm so grateful that I'm able to create a business where people actually respond to me calling out some of the bad sales techniques or strategies or those sorts of things in my business. So yeah, I'm allowed to surround myself with people who totally agree that we shouldn't be traumatizing people in the sales process. And then I just get to talk about that. (laughs) So good. (laughs) That's what I'm like. If we don't fit, like if we don't fit into the patriarchy or whatever those systems are, let's just create our own that work for us and fit our values. Tell those listening 
what is it that you spend your days doing? Yeah, so I am a startup mentor mostly. I help women to create online businesses and I'm particularly focused on consent-based marketing practices and also finding strategies that fit a lean startup model. So not having to invest a lot of time and money until you've proven that your business model works and you're going to make money from it. That's pretty much me in a nutshell. I also run a conference conference, which you'll be a speaker at. So I run the Heart Center Business Conference every year. And I also facilitate a Facebook community. And we've got over 35,000 women in that group now. So I absolutely love that. And I spend a lot of time on Facebook. <laughs> What's the group name for everyone? It's called Heart Centered Soul Driven Entrepreneurs. Why do you care about the work that you do? What is it that you're, what's kind of your mission? Well, honestly, it is does come down to the patriarchy a little. I ha- was very- Yeah, no, I'm like, I'm pretty sure we're like on the same path here. <laughs> I was a uh, very successful corporate consultant and I had a very successful career in the corporate world. But I also felt like I wasn't allowed to be myself. I wasn't allowed to have a period. I wasn't allowed to be emotional. I wasn't allowed to care too much about people. And I thought that all of those things actually made me who I am. And I felt like I was shutting myself down in some ways. And so I'm really passionate about the work that I do. And I feel like it changes the world because we don't have to bend to corporate structures or working a nine to five job. I see entrepreneurship as one of the ways that we put more money in the hands of women. And when women make more money, the world changes for the better. So my big vision for my business is to fill the world's rich lists with more women than men, because if that was the world we lived in today, it would be a very different world. And so I think men have had, you know, what's it, the last 30,000 years, they've had their time and it's time for women to take a leadership role in the world. And I really do believe that entrepreneurship is the one of the ways that we do that the most powerfully. Yes, because it, it's great to try and change and adapt those structures that have existed for so long, but it's also like, well, Let's also just create our own, which is how we can do that through entrepreneurship. And I love, because I was looking at your website the other day, Tash, and I love that you had your mission there. And I took inspiration from that. And I thought that's so good to actually voice like, what is the end result you're trying to achieve? Could you just say that once more for everyone? Yeah, so I want to fill the world's rich list with more women than men. And I want to do that through entrepreneurship. So women actually um, creating businesses where they are being of service and they're helping people and they are being socially responsible as well as environmentally responsible. So we can do all the things that are really important to us and be paid really well for it. And in turn, have that ripple effect of looking after the communities around us. Because studies have shown when women have money, it's not just them who benefit. It is their family who benefits, their extended family, their local communities and the global community. We look after each other when we have great incomes coming in. And I think it's just so great for us all to think, what is the end goal I'm trying to achieve? What would it look like? If I achieved 
my vision or what I'm, what I'm all about. What would that actually look like? So yeah, thank you for sharing that. I just thought, oh, I love that. That's so cool. So today we're going to have a bit of a chat about the value proposition of business. First of all, could you explain what actually is that? And also why does that matter? Okay, great. So I think the best example of value proposition is when you see someone share in a community or online a product or service they're thinking of offering and they say, what would you pay for this? And I see this happen all the time. People will share like an artwork or a beautiful handmade candle and they'll say, what will you pay for this? And the range in prices that other people give them is massive. And the reason is because different people perceive a different value of the same thing. So you could be selling feng shui consults for your home and the value proposition of that feng shui consult could be very different to one person compared to another. And so our jobs as entrepreneurs, and particularly when we are marketing our products and services, is to take heed of that and understand how we can make sure that when we do market products and services, we are maximizing the value proposition of that to our audience and particularly to our ideal clients. And I know that one of the important steps, and you've got a few to share with us, but it's around actually it's impossible for everyone to agree on a value proposition. So that's why we actually need to be clear, well, who are we trying to basically, who is this for and what feels like a fit for them? What What's your advice when it does come to the value proposition? Where do we look at ways that we can make that a really great fit? Yeah. So the three big keys that I have are number one is niche. So that is who this product is for and who you're marketing this product to. The second is your message needs to be really tangible. So something that's tangible is more relevant, it's more present and it's more urgent for us. So tangibility is really important. And then the third thing is to acknowledge that we want to align to someone's existing priorities, not try and spend all of our days convincing someone to change their priorities. So I call that like niche, tangibility and alignment. And so when it comes to niche, you really touched on that well, like different people are going to perceive a different value. And also it's hard to express your value proposition if you're trying to express the value to everyone it could possibly serve. And I see this particularly where women are selling services. Uh, It might be web design or something nice and tangible, like I'll do your social media for you. Or it could be something intangible like health and well-being or a healing or something along those lines. Even though it could help anyone, if you focus on who you're going to market it to at this point in time and niche that down very specifically, you're going to be able to speak so much more clearly to that value proposition and dial up that value proposition to that specific niche. So one of the mistakes I see people make when it comes to niching is that they aren't 100% sure what niche means. Some people say that like my niche is running, but that's actually a topic area. It's not a niche. Your niche is actually who you focus on when you market. So your niche isn't even busy mums because all mums are busy. It's not a niche, right? Like I've never met a mum who's like, you know what? I've got so much time on my hands. I'm just going to have a look at some fun things I might want to do today. All mums are busy. So we want to make sure that 
we make that as specific as possible and specific on the who. So I've got three little things that will help you make your niche a little more specific and multi-layered because there's no point in niching based on age if it has no impact on your marketing. So if you say my niche is women aged 35 to 45, they love yoga and walks on the beach, a lot of that is really demographic information and it doesn't have any meaningful impact on how you narrow down your marketing and it definitely doesn't help your value proposition. So the three layers of niche that I like to look at are number one, demographics. And what are the important demographics? So some of the important demographics I focus on are gender. And gender is an important one because the way you sell to women is very different to the way that you sell to men. Now, you never have to say, I only work with women or I only work with men, but I want you to be clear on who are you going to focus on with this particular piece of marketing? Is this going to speak to and resonate with women or speak to and resonate with men mostly? you know, on, on a balance of probabilities thing. It's almost about the people that really like that feminine energy and those that really like more of a masculine energy as well. Absolutely. We're all a balance of masculine and feminine energies and we can appeal to those different energies through different marketing strategies. And there are different ways that we speak to and sell to people who identify as different genders. And it is generally because of that balance of energies. Uh, But I do think it's a really important behind the scenes decision to make. And the other one is their job status. So are they working for themselves or are they working for someone else? Because social media patterns and behaviors are different between people who are in a business versus people who are in a job. And also, again, your examples can't be tangible if you don't speak to their specific experience. So even if you're selling, say, parenting coaching, When you develop your marketing and your value proposition, it's very different for, let's say, a mum who's with her children 24-7 because she's running a business from home versus a mum who is leaving her children at daycare four days a week because she's got a job. Now, there's no judgment around either of those decisions, but you need to know what her reality is in order to be able to really connect with her and resonate with her. And so that's why, you know, demographics is one layer. The second layer is the psychographics. So that is things like dreams and desires, as well as worries and fears. So understanding what are the core dreams and desires and worries and fears that your ideal clients have. And then the final one, which is most people miss, is a term I've totally made up, which is sensographics. And that is like, what does that person's five senses tell them? What do they see, hear, smell, touch, taste that tells them I'm not achieving my goal, I have a particular problem, or this is important for me to fix or go for now. And so by using those three different layers of niching, you're getting way more clearer on who is it that you are marketing to right now. So the sensor graphics, that is I totally made that word up. (laughs) I love it. Is that kind of, if I was constantly seeing something in my life, like in my day, uh, that is, so maybe it's like, I'm constantly looking at my runners and thinking, why aren't I going on runs? Is that kind of what you mean by that? Absolutely. So, so the thought process would be, why am I not going on runs? The sensographic is she's not running as much as she wants to, right? So it's the actual tangible thing. So to go back to the parenting example, maybe it's like she cannot get her children out the door without a tantrum over shoelaces, right? So there's like a a physical experience that is going on here that tells her there's a problem 
here, right? Or maybe if it's in relation to social media. So something that you help people with is they're posting on Instagram every day and they're scheduling up their 30 days of content, but they're not really getting any engagement from their audience and they're certainly not making sales. So that's a sensor graphics issue, right? Like that is exactly the tangible experience that that person is having at that point in time. And when you start to connect with that sensor graphic type of information and data about your niche, then you're, it's like you're peeking in their windows a little, right? It's like that, how did you know? Or you know, maybe it's something she says to her friend, like, if I could just get people seeing my product, I'm sure they would love it, right? And if she's saying that, imagine her seeing an ad that says, you know, if people saw your product, they would fall in love with it. So let's get it in front of more faces. Imagine how much she would feel like it's really resonating with her and she totally wants what you've got to offer. It stops the scroll. It makes people pay attention. And it also says to them, I get exactly what's going on for you right now, which is the most connecting thing we can do with our audience. A hundred percent. I love it when we use our audience's own language in our own content, exactly as you said. It's like you can, you, you, and we need to listen. This is why we can't be just separated from our marketing and from our audience because we need to learn and listen and see what they are experiencing so we can show them that sucks or that's amazing and I totally get it. Okay, so what is next after the demographic? So oh, no, uh, after the niche. After the, so the, niche, the yes. next thing that I like to focus on is the tangible message. And when you get your niche right, it makes tangible message so much easier. So it's all well and good to say that you help people feel more confident. But building our confidence goes way down our to-do list when we still need to go and pick up our dry cleaning and go and build a business and make some money. And, (laughs) you know, like we've got so many things on our to-do list each day. And if you are constantly speaking in intangibles, it's very easy to move that down the list and just say, I'll look after that later. So what I like to do is look at how does your intangible help someone achieve something very specific and tangible? So maybe the problem is confidence, but the thing that they really want to do that they think they don't have enough confidence to actually try out is Instagram stories. So if you can connect your work that grows someone's confidence to them showing up on Instagram stories more consistently and therefore getting more clients, then all of a sudden you are bumping it up their to-do list because it's a much more tangible outcome. And I find this as well with people who work maybe in the psychic space or the healing space or uh, you work with a mindset work and modalities is that, you know, you love your modality and I love modalities as well. But you're not going to convince someone to buy from you just by saying, my modality is so powerful. I can fix anything. My modality is so powerful. I can fix anything. And uh, I have a great example, actually. I worked with an EFT practitioner, so like tapping, emotional freedom technique. And she had been a qualified EFT practitioner for three years. She went to the conference on the Gold Coast every single year. She loved tapping. And every single messaging piece that she put out there, every piece of content was selling tapping as a modality, right? And I was like, I totally get it. I love it. And she was getting all of this great, you know, uh, feedback from people saying, wow, I'd never heard of tapping before and all that kind of thing, but no one was buying from her. 
And so I asked her to just do a little experiment with me. And for 90 days, we just focused on how tapping can help with physical fears. So if you have a fear of spiders or a fear of heights, or if you have a fear of like being in the car or something gives you like this crazy racing heartbeat, then tapping is a really powerful way to overcome those fears. And we just did 90 days of just being really tangible on like a lived experience that this actually can help to resolve. 30 days after we started this experiment, she was invited to be a speaker at that same conference. Oh, my God. Because she went from being a generic tapping person to being able to talk about the application of that modality in a very tangible situation. And so that is the power of getting really specific with your niche and then talking really tangibly. All of a sudden, you can specialize. You become an expert. And then think about, you see an ad that says, tapping is amazing and can fix anything. And then an ad that says, is your fear of heights stopping you from living the adventurous life that you want to? Tapping can help. If your problem is a fear of heights, which one would you buy from? It's the one that specifically talks to your experience. And again, let's say there's one that's specifically about a fear of heights and there's one that's completely generic. Which one would you pay more for? And it's the same with I've worked with people who have gone from specializing in pain you know, with their modality to specializing in helping elite athletes to overcome pain so they can continue to train and thrive. Now, the person I worked with on that, she went from charging $90 for a healing session to $300 and still being booked out because elite athletes recommended her to other elite athletes. And it was such a tangible application of her powerful healing modality. It's so true. What? Because I, I can imagine, or perhaps I'm just assuming, whether those clients or other clients say, oh, but Tash, it's not just those elite sports people I can help. Mm, absolutely. And so that's what, you know, that's kind of the, the fear I think people have and that I have and everyone has around, oh, but I don't want to niche because there's so many people I can help. What What's your advice when people are feeling like that? I agree. It's just so powerful. But yet, why are people not doing it? And I think it comes back to that. It comes back to the clarity and, like you said, knowing that niche, but also then perhaps that fear. So, yeah, what, what do you tell your clients? Yeah, so I think, yes, it definitely just comes down to that fear of leaving people out because we've all been rejected from something before. <laughs> yeah. But it also comes down to a fear of, like, missing out on the sale or not being able to show up and serve in this broad way that we w- had envisioned when we started our business. And there are a few things that I would say to that. Number one, when you have the marketing budget of Coca-Cola, you can go out and be for everyone like Coca-Cola tries to be for everyone, right? When you have a limited budget, you need to resonate deeply. And the other thing is, is that remember that your niche is who you focus on when you are marketing. It is not who you serve. So if someone sees your ad for helping pain in elite athletes and they come to you and say, well, I'm not an elite athlete, but I can't pick my child up. And this is really worrying me. Could you help me as well? You have every right to say yes. You don't have to say, no, I only work with elite athletes. But because you've been so specific, you get so much more traction. And what has happened for my business is I definitely started with a very, very narrow niche. And as I have grown, my niche has broadened a little. 
Can you tell us about what you started with and, you know, your own experience? I think that'd be super interesting. So actually, when I first started my business, I focused on teaching online marketing and business growth for artists. So creative artists, visual artists. I didn't even know that. Yeah. And so the reason why I chose that niche was I just got sick of being unniched and like trying to talk to everyone and resonating with no one. And so I just decided I surround myself with arty and crafty people. I'm a weekend artist. Like, you know, I'll occasionally get the paints out and do something. Never sold a thing in my life. I might have sold like a $20 painting at a market store once when I was helping my mum with something. But I've never, I've never been an artist myself, but I know the gap that a lot of creatives can have and a lot of artists can have in turning their creative baby into something that they want to sell and finding ways to navigate social media. And so I thought, well, I can really help in this space because a lot of artists struggle with the social media part. They're struggling to make sales. And that's where my zone of genius is going to help them step into their zone of genius. And so I started on that. And for the first six months of my business, that's all I talked about. But very quickly, I had people who had a yoga studio going, I love the way that you talk about social media. Can you help me as well? And then I had a lady who was a singing coach. And she said, I love the way that you talk about artists and I don't do visual art, but I would love for you to help me with my social media as well. And so at first I just focused on artists and I ran webinars specifically for artists and I ran speaking events just for artists and all of my advertising and all of my marketing was focused on artists and the application of great social media strategy and business strategy to artists. And it grew like wildfire. It went crazy. And you know what? Everyone, when I first started my business and I started saying, you know what? I've just, I've hit the jackpot. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk and sell to artists. People are like, um, have you not heard of starving artist syndrome? I just have the money cash. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, that's okay. I don't mind. I'll just start. And there'll be some artists out there who this is important to. And there's a great return on investment here. I'm going to help them sell their art. So I feel like it's a strong business model. I'm going to go out and just try. And it was very quickly that I saw that I had tapped into this completely untapped thing before. And every artist I spoke to said, no one teaches us business stuff. No one teaches us social media. It is so hard to find out how to do this as an artist. And so actually the thing that everyone else perceived as a weakness in my market ended up being a really amazing opportunity and a great potential for me to get that growth. And so there came a point, it was about six months in where I realized as a non-practicing artist, there were some decisions that artists needed to make that I couldn't mentor them in, such as how far to commercialize versus staying in alignment with your artistic integrity and do you take on commission pieces? I don't know. Well, I'm not an artist. (laughs) All I can do is help you build the social media and business side. So what I decided to do was just pivot my niche a little and focus on service-based business and that like really heart-centered service-based business and particularly startup, women in startup who they really want to change the world and they really want to grow a business But there's so many platforms, there's so many options, there's so many gurus telling them, you have to be on TikTok, you have to be on Twitter, you have to be on Instagram, you have to do this, you have to do that, that they just get overwhelmed and then they end up thinking it's going to be too hard and it's not for them. And I really think women are amazing at online business, but some of that imposter syndrome or uh, those fears or beliefs or just too many gurus sometimes can make them feel like they're not cut out for it. And that is not true at all your business, you are the boss, you get to decide what it looks like, you get to decide how you show up. It is one of the most powerful things that you can experience. You just need to be able to find a strategy that works to your strengths and how you want to show up and 
have these types of foundations of a really specific niche and being very tangible in your messaging. And that is where true growth occurs, not on being 80, 85 different platforms and getting up at 4am. I don't subscribe to that at all. I think as well, if those listening are feeling as though maybe they're just not getting noticed, they're not getting momentum, then it could be a sign for them to have that courage to say, right, I'm going to be specific. Because I think even if we look at, let's say it's a graphic designer and they're like, I do I do graphic design for any business, for small to medium businesses. It's like, hey, what if you did graphic design for dentists? Yeah. <laughs> and then imagine, you know exactly where to go to find those dentists. You know who to speak to. You know how to message. And then when someone has a dentist that they're like, oh, you need branding, you need to go to this person. It's so powerful. And then, like you said, it doesn't mean you've got to stay there forever, but it can help you get momentum. People understand what it is that you do. You can then get those clients or those customers. And then from there, you can expand. But if you're not growing, it could be a sign, exactly as you're saying, like a, a, a misalignment, which actually leads us to that third the third point, the aligning. I loved how you said this in, at the start, aligning to someone's existing priorities. So I'm going to give a little shout out to all the health coaches out there because I love how much you show up on my social media feed and try and convince me to prioritize my health and well-being a little more, right? <laughs> I love you for it and I love your persistence and I love your tenacity, but- the times that I've invested in getting help with my health and well-being is where I can see it's impacting on my priorities. So trying to get me to reshuffle my priorities, to put health and well-being things or, you know, eating different foods or whatever it might be, trying to force me to change my priorities rather than meet me where I'm at will mean that you have a long journey before you'll get someone to invest. And so what I like to do is instead, when you understand your niche, you'll know what their priorities are, and then you'll be able to link what you help them to solve to their existing top priorities. So, you know, the and it's it's different these days. I definitely prioritize my health and well-being a lot more. So please don't <laughs> like DM me with your lectures about my health and well-being. But when I have really stepped up with that health and well-being stuff is when someone has said to me, like, imagine having the four hours a day that you put into your business be the most productive, most effective, like best brain space time you've ever had in your life. Let's find out what your best time of day is and let's build your health and well-being practices around that best time of day so your business grows really quickly. And when they did that, I was like, oh, that's a no-brainer. Take my money, right? I'm in. I'm totally in. Whereas where I've seen people, I've followed a lot of people in health and well-being space. And if they just keep saying to me, you've got to prioritize this, babe. You know, you really need to prioritize this. Let's prioritize it. Let's make it easier. Let's make it quicker. Let's make it faster. You know, I love all of that stuff. But if I'm 100% honest, I've never bought from those people. Because they keep trying to tell me that my priorities are wrong. And then I might be able to sustain it for a little while. But then let's say something goes funky in one of my launches and my income drops down, I'm the main breadwinner in my home. If I don't make money, we don't make money. And so that means that sometimes I need to revert to type, right? I revert to, well, my foundational, like in Maslow's hierarchy of needs right now, the thing that I need to look after is my income and my relationship with my partner and making sure that we are on track. And so if you, if you, keep trying to tell someone to change their priorities, 
it's like you're just constantly banging your head up against the wall. So instead, find a way that you can help someone link it to what they're already prioritizing. And this actually applies to all business types. I'm not just saying health yeah, and well-being. Exactly. I've, I'm thinking because we're so passionate about what we do that we want everyone to do it. We want everyone to try it. But exactly, it makes so much sense. As you're saying, like people aren't going to get that. It's not a priority for them. You have to not talk about the what, but the why. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, this harks back to niche because if your ideal customer is someone who is a mum and their number one priority is their children, then that's going to be a big driver for them. In And, and we want to make sure we connect to that with our messaging and our value proposition. But if you're like, well, I don't mind if she's a mum or not a mum, then you think about, well, what is the overarching number one priority for those people? Everyone's priorities are different. And a little clue that maybe your niche isn't narrow enough when it comes to trying to work out what that existing priority is, is I ask people, okay, if you had your ideal client in front of you and you had 90 days to work with them, what would you work on first? And if you say, well, it depends what their priority is or, oh, well, it depends on what's going on for them. You don't have enough clarity here. You need to get as specific as you can so that you can speak deeply and resonantly with the experience that that person has and through the lens of understanding what are they prioritizing right now so that you can link your work to that priority. And I want to come circle all the way back to how I explained value proposition. And let's think about that artwork that someone says, how valuable is this to you right now? Like, what would you pay for this? And put it in a Facebook group. Right? Like, put it in a Facebook how much group? should I charge yeah. for this? <laughs> You'll get $5 and $5,000. Exactly. So. <laughs> and I call that crowdsourcing your prices, right? Like, yes. you're crowdsourcing this. Don't crowdsource your prices. But if I am building a home... Emily. Oh, yeah, that's me. If I'm building a home (laughs) and it is going to be my dream home, I am way more likely to invest bigger in the artwork that I decide to put in that home if I want to curate this amazing and powerful space. And let's say I'm building that home to be where I run my business from for at least the next 10 years. If your artwork speaks to that desire of having an amazing space it's really energized for me being productive in my business and it's like you know really makes me feel abundant and luxurious I'm going to pay 10 times as much for that artwork and so it's really about connecting it in with what that priority is for that person at that particular point in time and it's regardless of whether you sell products or whether you sell services, if you want to dial up that value proposition and have people see your price as a complete no-brainer for them, don't reduce the price, increase the value proposition. And don't increase the value proposition by adding more things to it. Increase the value proposition by connecting it to that person's priorities. Because I'm just going to touch on a little thing here as well that I see a lot with people online, and that is the whole bonus mentality, right? So in order for my course or my program to feel valuable, I'm going to add this bonus and that bonus and this bonus. In order for my VIP package to feel more valuable, I'm going to add unlimited Voxer support or messenger support or whatever it might be. Actually, what you're doing subconsciously for your audience is saying, in order to, for you to get the outcome, you need to work harder. 
there's more work involved. So my course won't get you the outcome on its own. You also have to listen to these eight expert interviews and you also have to go and complete these four bonus modules and you also have to go and do this. You also have to go and do that. And so for a lot of people, what you think you need to do in order to increase your value proposition is put more stuff in. But for your ideal client, they just want to get to the outcome faster. And so putting more stuff in often equates to us thinking, well, it's going to be more work. And so rather than thinking value proposition comes from what's in it, the features. And how much. And how many of those features you have. Instead, think about your value proposition as how quickly and easily can this person go from where they are to where they want to be by purchasing your bridge between those two things. And the more specific you are about where they are and the more specific about where they want to be, the more tangible that leap is, the easier it is to build a simple bridge and have it seem really valuable to that person and the easier it is for them to say a no-brainer yes to it because you've built that confidence for them. So good, Tash. So many amazing tips. I want to finish up with a couple of things, but one is what do you wish that you knew like way back Tash starting her business, what would have served you well to know? Okay. So I talk about this quite a bit and that is um, in six months into my business, I had a 20K month and I was just selling one-to-one services working with me. And I went to this webinar from this really popular guru online and they had um, examples of people who'd created online courses and passive income and memberships and group programs and they were making $40,000 a month and $50,000 a month and all sorts of things. And they were kept saying the only way to uncap your income is to stop trading dollars for hours and start working one to many. And at that point in time, I had just learned how to sell one-to-one and deliver one-to-one and make 20 grand months in my business. And it instantly sent me into this downward fear spiral of, oh my gosh, I've totally done it wrong. I've built my business wrong. I need to sell group programs. I need to have passive income. And so I went straight into building a group program and I stopped focusing on selling and delivering one-to-one services. And so I spent three months building a group program. My launch was about a $4,000 launch. The month after my launch, I made 800 bucks. And I just wish I could go back to the Tash who got totally sucked into this fear mentality and say to her, Tash, you just had a 20K month. Hang out in this little fun space for a little while longer. Learn what it was that got you to that 20K month so quickly embed those practices, systemize those practices, stick your prices up a little and see if the demand stays there. Stick your prices up again and see if the demand stays there. See if you can start making these sales in a one-to-many way without having to deliver one-to-many. Don't change the product, just change the price point and just hang out here for a little while. I truly believe my business would have grown so much faster. My income would have come in so much easier if I didn't get caught up in that fear cycle of I'm missing out on something because I've totally misunderstood how to uncap my income. And actually, like one-to-one income is still uncapped. There are people who charge $25,000 for one-to-one packages. There are people who charge $100,000. So my income wasn't capped simply because I was selling one-to-one. My income wasn't capped by some random business model problem that I didn't have. 
my, I, I just wish I could go back. I, you know, there are not a lot of things I'd change about my business journey, but I do wish I could go back and say, don't be in such a hurry to create and launch a group program. You can make 20K, 30K, 40K months just selling one-to-one, delivering one-to-one, and it can be so easy. So easy. Yeah. And I just want to quickly close that off by saying what ended up happening for me, because after that 20K month, I told Davey, my partner, to quit his job. And so (laughs) not only... Babe, we're good. We're good. (laughs) I've made it. I've made it. So not only did I um, put a downward pressure on myself by jumping straight into a different model of business, but I also had huge financial pressure on me because I was the only income earner in our household at that point in time. And so, and I see a lot of other people go through that same journey and I just wish I could stop and like say, no, just hang out in the good stuff a little while longer. If you find something that works, don't go looking for the next shiny thing. Like just live in that space for a minute enjoy that. And you, people come to me and they say, oh, I've just run this amazing webinar. It was my first webinar. I got hundred people signed up. I made five sales. I love webinars now. What should I do my next webinar on? I say, yes, <laughs> the same dang thing. Yes. It just worked. Don't change it. I and I think know. we're so in a hurry to find the next thing. And I definitely fall into that pattern myself. Yes. It's so easy for all of us. Yes. We all fall into it. So that piece of advice, I would definitely run back and give that to my past self. And because I can't do that, I just give it to future people who come and find me. I I say, I make mistakes in business so that you don't have to. That was my big mistake. And if I share that story and I, I share that message, then hopefully other people will get to hang out in the good stuff a little longer too. It's doing what works for you because my business model works for me and what I value and what really fulfills me and the kind of day that I want, but that's going to be totally off for someone else. So it's also like that self-awareness of what do we want? And and I think it's totally right that there's some messages that can make us, and it's dangerous and it's horrible and it makes us question what we're doing and think, we're doing it wrong and totally around kind of always jumping. I remember after I launched the Modern Marketing Collective, then I'm like, ah, that was fun. What am I going to launch now? And my mentor at the time was like, Emily, just wait, just (laughs) build that one. And that's like the best advice ever because like just to actually maximize and have that focus on the one thing we're doing. And also as well, in terms of it's so easy to break what works because we're just like, and that's my personality too. I'm like, Oh, I want to cha- I want to do new stuff. I want to change stuff, but it's like hang on a minute, do not break what works. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I've broken a lot of things in my time, but I do it so that other people don't have to learn from my mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> Tash, where can everyone go to find you? You've got a conference coming up. Please share the details of that one. Of course. Yeah, so the Heart Center Business Conference has been running every year. Due to COVID last year, we turned it into a virtual business conference, and uh, we will be going back to an in-person conference eventually. I run it in Noosa and it's super fun in Queensland. And the virtual conference this year is happening in March. And you can find all the details. Just come and find me on Instagram. I'm at Tash Corbin. And uh, I'll make sure I put lots of uh, posts up in the next few weeks about conference so that you don't miss out because it is coming up very soon anyway. So I'll be talking about conference quite a bit. And that's the best place to get in touch. Yep. 
And I'm speaking, which I'm super honored about. I'm so excited. So, so excited. We have some amazing speakers at conference, actually. We've got some people from overseas and, yeah, some great Australian people speaking as well. And it's a very tangible and practical style of conference. So each speaker presents their keynote more as a workshop so that we're focused on implementation and how it applies to your business. And it's mostly women on stage as well. So instead of having to go to some of those dude fest conferences, that we have to go to all the time. Uh, This one is also mostly women speakers. So you get to hear from some amazing people that sometimes we don't get to see on stage at conferences much because let's face it, that um, is something that needs to be fixed as well. Oh, Tash, so good chatting with you. Thank you. And um, I'll see you at the conference and hopefully some of the listeners too. So we'll chat soon. Thanks so much, Emily. Thank you for listening to The Emily Osmond Show, brought to you by my Instagram freebies, which you'll find at emilyosmond.com forward slash free. So please take a few seconds to leave me a review, subscribe so that you don't miss an episode, and be sure to take a screenshot of this podcast, upload it to your social media, and tag me at Emily Osmond so I can give you a shout out too. Until next time, remember connection over perfection. You've got this and we'll speak soon.